And welcome to Late Night in Seattle, where the players play. I'm your host, Adam Jacobson, here with Rob Job, Robbie Gross. How are you doing today, Robbie? I'm pretty good, Adam. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Yeah, excellent's a good way to put it. I'm excited to be here podcasting with you. Um, feels like we've been talking about doing this forever, and I'm glad that we finally got it all put together here, and uh, we're finally talking into microphones together. Um, like Adam said, welcome to Late Night in Seattle. We are your hosts. We're here to talk with you about the Mariners, the Sounders, the Sonics, the Seahawks, everything Seattle sports, professional, collegiate. We might even dabble in high school sports. We might get into some women's rowing. You never know. It's Late Night in Seattle. We're here to talk about it, and you're here to listen to it. So without further ado... Uh, let's talk about something that happened pretty recently. Speaking of college sports, we had a uh, pretty big realignment news in the with the Pac-12, uh, formerly Pac-10, and now currently Pac-10 again, with USC and UCLA announcing that they are going to be moving to the Big Ten. Um, Adam, what do you think about that? I mean, is this doomsday for the, the Pac-10 or the Pac-12? I don't know which to call it anymore. Uh, it's pretty nerve-wracking as a Husky fan, knowing that two of the biggest schools out of L.A. are leaving the conference. And uh, I guess the big question is, what's going to happen next? Is the Pac-10 going to stay together? Uh, are we going to do an alliance with the ACC? Is everyone kind of going to you know, leave the conference and go elsewhere. It's really up in the air and it's a little bit nerve wracking what's going to happen in the next couple of years. It's especially nerve wracking because those are, as you mentioned, two Los Angeles schools. Um, For those of you out there who aren't aware, Los Angeles is one of the biggest media markets in the United States, if not the world. One of the most (laughs) populous, one of the most populous cities in the world. And, Who doesn't know that? <laughs> you know, geography is an esoteric subject these days, so I just thought I'd make sure everyone's aware of where we stand with that. Um, it's tough. I hate to see USC leave anyway, because as much as I hate them, if USC wasn't in the Pac-12, I wouldn't have rushed the field yelling, we beat USC, we beat USC, after Nick Folk hits a game-winning field goal with like seven seconds left our freshman year at UW, that memory ceases to exist. And I couldn't care less about UCLA leaving, frankly. Um, Those poor Bruins, they have to travel to Rutgers and Maryland for conference conference women's rowing matchups and conference gymnastics meets. Um, That's just terrible. But, you know, as far as what it means for the Pac-10, I think you probably have to look at expansion. Do you do you think like who who would you be looking at if you are um, the current Pac-12 commissioner who was appointed last year after Larry Drew stepped down? Uh, I don't remember his name. He came from Las Vegas, came from BetMGM, which seems to bode great things for our conference that we're plucking uh, gambling tycoons out of Las Vegas. Who who do you want to see come into the Pac-12 now to take oh, their spots? Can we get Oklahoma and Texas back in the Pac-10 <laughs> or Pac-12 discussion? But I think in all seriousness, like we're looking at Boise State, San Diego State, 
UNLV, maybe Fresno State, hopefully Gonzaga. I don't know. It's a bit, it's kind of like these long tail schools that no one really cares about except for Gonzaga and basketball and Boise State ten years ago in football. But um, it's a little bit rough out here. It's kind of like it. It almost it's it, it is worse than when we lost Oklahoma and Texas to that expansion discussion. Ended up with Utah and Colorado. Not nothing bad about those schools, but uh, we could have been such a big player in the in the NCAA in Mark Emmert's NCA, but we ended up, you know, as the Pac-12 with uh, kind of lesser teams, and now even lesser. Yeah, if, if adding Colorado and Utah was a relative loss for the media market, et cetera, having to do with the Pac-12's quote-unquote success, which really is like financial success, then, um, you know, losing USC and UCLA is, um, is possibly even worse. And... Um, you know, there will be some good football and basketball games coming up, but uh, as far as the success of the conference going forward, I just don't know. Anyways, let's move on to the, the next topic here. Uh, Seattle Mariners All-Star Julio made the Julio Rodriguez. Julio! Julio! <laughs> made the All-Star game. Julio! God! And not only that, even more recently, the Home Run Derby, which will be super fun to watch. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't remember the last time I sat down to watch the Home Run Derby. It was a long time ago. I just don't watch it anymore. Did you watch the Home Run Derby last year, Adam? Oh, I don't even know if I... I, I did watch uh, part of it where Alonso was just crushing it. Um, and he looks very tough to beat this year. But it'd be really cool to see if Julio could, you know, make it to the final rounds or the later, later on and compete, um, especially as a rookie. I mean, as a rookie is so big because when you think about the Home Run Derby and all the All-Star festivities, you know, part of it is acknowledging and um, I guess rewarding great play on the field and acknowledging who the best players are, but it's in the name, All-Star Game. When you get selected for that, when you get selected for the Home Run Derby, it's because the MLB wants to market you as a star and it is undeniable that Julio Rodriguez is a future star, and he's a star right now. And I just can't wait to see him crush bombs and flash that million-dollar smile at the Home Run Derby. It's going to be so much fun to watch. I can't wait to see how hype everyone is on the on the foul lines. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to yeah. see Albert Pujols' kids go up and, like, hug Julio's legs and be like, Stop, oh, yeah. stop hitting Pujols more home runs home than run Daddy! Derby, huh? you're, you're hitting more home runs than my dad! <laughs> I can't wait for that. That's like, oh, it's appointment viewing. 5 p.m. on Monday, July 18th. Tune in. That's going to be great. And then uh, I just feel it's great news Julio's in it, but it's interesting to see uh, Ty's not necessarily in it quite yet. And they they even got uh, J.D. Martinez picked over him recently when one player went out. So that was kind of surprising to me, at least, since I feel Ty has had a slightly better season. Uh, I agree with that 100%. And on top of that, even just earlier today, probably, you know, it's it's late afternoon now, late morning, about five or six hours ago, they announced that George Springer was going to be scratched from the All-Star game with um, rehabbing an, an injury that he's just not fully back from yet. And they're replacing him with Corey Seager of the Texas Rangers. Corey yeah, Seager. It seems like they're just... They're just putting up names that people recognize and not necessarily... They're kind of overlooking someone like Ty France who deserves it but maybe doesn't have the name um, in the Seattle market. 
And also, like, Ty deserves it more, more so because he plays in a tougher ballpark. He makes almost the league minimum at a little over 700K, and you're not rewarding this guy for putting out that effort. Um, so not like the sal- his salary matters, but it's just kind of a shame that, that uh, he's not being recognized and putting in the hard work. I couldn't agree more. And I just want to add that it is very dangerous to disrespect a, I guess you could say Ty is French because his last name's France. You are disrespecting a Frenchman on Bastille Day. Okay, let's just, <laughs> let's just think about that, Major League Baseball. There are consequences. There are consequences. So, careful. You can't discriminate. Yep. <laughs> and then we got we got to move on into our next topic, which is going to be summer league. And I put on a discussion about Chet Holmgren and Paulo Benchero, but you've added a few local kids. Uh, I noticed Terrell Brown Jr., who was a top dog. I was a little disappointed <laughs> he didn't get the the recognition in the draft, but uh, man, that guy could score. Yeah, I, it's amazing how well represented. Uh, Seattle basketball and the Pacific Northwest is in the summer league and the NBA generally. But um, man, I don't watch enough summer league. Um, I don't know if it's the fact that the the games air at at nine thirty a.m. Uh, local time, so I'm, you know, quote unquote working during that time. I'm not tuning into ESPN. Sorry, <laughs> but um, you know, you get to see these guys play. And uh, have you seen Chet Holmgren since the draft? Like I've only interviews. watched, uh, not too much. I've watched him play in the summer league twice. That's like the only games I've probably watched in summer league. It, it is hard to watch, but like Chet is just unbelievable ball handler handler. And you didn't see that at Gonzaga. He was more so just in the shadows of uh, Drew Timmy, I think. And it's really cool to see him like almost as a, he, he could just bring up the ball and, you know, cross over people and get to the hoop. And it's quite, quite phenomenal and something I wasn't expecting. Well, you see, Gonzaga was a complete basketball team with with set roles and great coaching. And um, no disrespect to the Oklahoma City Thunder, but uh, I think Chet Holmgren's going to have a little more leeway over there to create and to kind of be the guy that that they hoped he would be when they drafted him as they go on. But I was really asking because have you seen how swaggy Chet Holmgren is? Have you seen like is he swaggy? He's extremely swaggy. His draft day outfit was crazy, and um, he's been interviewed a few more times since. And I just I I thought he was this soft spoken twig of a man, and uh, it turns out that he's he's kind of saucy. So I can't wait to see what he grows into. Um, I wanted to show a little love to Marjan Beauchamp and Terry Eason. Um, Marjan Beauchamp. Uh, product of Yakima, Washington, the Palm Springs of Ooh. Washington, as it's known, <laughs> and uh, and you know he he transferred over to Nathan Hale. He spent time at Garfield and Rainier Beach as well. Um, came from the G League Ignite, but he had another great draft day where he gets picked by the Wolves, and he is just as emotional as it gets. And um, in response to that. And uh, I, I just think it's so cool seeing that sort of emotion and seeing that sort of um, that payoff for the dedication that these guys go through for pretty much their entire lives leading up to the NBA draft. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does. I've, I've read about some game recaps from uh, T-Wolves Summer League games. And it sounds like he's got a little bit of a three-point shot and some defense. So it'll be cool to see what he does for the Wolves this year. Amazing. Yeah, no, it's fun to see the young talent out of Washington and know that we create a lot of these 
amazing players in the NBA um, who are going to be all-stars or potential Hall of Famers. And it's really cool to see that they're straight out of, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Um, so now we're going to move on to our, I think, main topic, I would say. The <sighs> rising Seattle Mariners on a 10-game win streak and playing tonight. Let's go, so, Mariners. <laughs> Huge. Yeah, the Soto Mojo is real. Oh, it is alive <laughs> and, and well. our pitching is fire. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so they're on a ten-game win streak. Win streak right now. Pardon me. And um, I was just wondering if you were aware the significance of that, the length of that win streak, and um, you know what sort of things have happened in years that we've had that win streak. Do you know when the last time the Mariners had a win streak of at least ten games was? I would. I don't know. Pro- I have no clue, honestly. You tell me. I guess 2001, maybe, or something. Uh, well, you're close because they did have a 15-game win streak in 2001, but they had... 15? 15. They had a 10-game win streak in April of 2002. Notably, they did not make the playoffs in 2002. They actually swept their first road trip of the year in in early to mid-April uh, of 2002. They went 10-0 on the road. And they came home to eventually win. Um, man, they still had some good players on that team. I wish I had their record in front of me. I know they didn't make the playoffs, obviously. But, um, you know, it's just seeing seeing them win 10 games in a row when it sometimes feels in the past few years they weren't even going to win 10 games. It's just, it makes me excited in ways I haven't felt in a very long time. What do you no, think? Cra- what do you think's been the key to their success over these ten games? Is it Julio? <laughs> no, I, it's a, it's a lot of resurgences of the players. It's the it's definitely the Mariners pitching, just dominating. Uh, I don't even know what their ERA was a few months ago, but right now you can see a lot of improvements. They're fourth in the majors in pitching ERA last I se- last I've seen. So they have been just dominating the competition with the starting five especially. And it's cool to see even young pitchers like Kirby and Logan Gilbert going out there and just throwing strikes and getting people out and, you know, getting in those sub three. I know Kirby's a little bit higher, but like all, all of our pitching staff is in a very good position um, right now. It is. And the amazing thing is that the, the offense, I, I was watching part of the game yesterday and they flashed a stat um, right before Adam Frazier, of all people, hit a home run. And it said that the Mariners have, <clears throat> excuse me, a 30, well, before, this was during the second game of yesterday's doubleheader. They flashed a stat that said the Mariners had a 34 or 35 and 10 record this year when they score four or more runs. Oh. Four runs isn't even that much. So if they just can, if they can get four guys around the bases, they are most likely going to win a game this year. And that's completely powered by Robbie Ray, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and and Marco Gonzalez. And yeah. and Chris Flexen, too. The entire rotation has stepped up. It's been amazing. Yeah, it's like our number five starter is several other teams, number ones or twos even right now. And I think the one, I, it's funny, I had like a stat up where, when you mentioned... Uh, four runs or more. Uh, Marco Gonzalez has only had one game this entire season where he's given up more than four 
actually four or more earned runs out of uh, 17 appearances. So it's literally 16 out of 17 games. He's given up less than four earned runs. And he's not striking 10 guys out a game or anything. Oh, why no. why would you when you can get away with just pounding the bottom of the strike zone with change-ups and locating fastballs and putting your team in a position to win it it's crazy yeah. i don't even know what to make of it you you he's know averaging less yeah. than three th- he's averaging less than three strikeouts per appearance <laughs> <laughs> you know who else averages less than three strikeouts per appearance me and not many others it's an elite group (laughs) and and maybe clinic no i'm just (laughs) oh low blow we have our first low blow of the pod i like that (laughs) but but clinic's been killing it in all honesty in triple a uh lately and he is on a tear so we're hoping to see him come up he has help the the squad up he has i want you to put a pin in kelnick in the kelnick conversation and prospects generally because we are going to get to that later um in another segment of our show but um i just wanted to wrap up the discussion about pitching adam and preparing for the show you had um kind of proposed as a topic or as a sort of segue into talking about the pitching um of you, you'd propose the idea of whose re- resurgence has been more impressive, Robbie Ray or Marco Gonzalez, and um, I think that's actually a really good question. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's funny. I think I put this in here thinking that knowing Robbie Ray had a really tough start to the se- to the season coming off a of Cy Young year last year, and I remember earlier in the year how sports radio was particularly taking apart tearing apart Marco Gonzalez early in the year because. Even though he's only gave up a couple earned runs in the first starts, the Mariners they were the, he gave up several unearned runs, which stacked up to several you know made him look uh, poorly. So I remember early in the year they were struggling, and uh, it's really interesting, yeah, seeing how Robbie Ray is really straight up dominating lately, especially, and Marco Gonzalez has been actually just very consistent um, all year. So who's so, um, who's resurgence? has impressed you more considering you know maybe the demise of robbie ray was a little overblown um who's impressed you more not with their performance in a vacuum but comparatively yeah i think uh in june and july robbie ray has definitely had the the biggest resurgence this year um starting the year he had a 4.15 era in march and april he had a 5.34 in in may and in June and July, he had in June he had a 2.19 ERA, and this month it's only 12 innings, but 1.42 ERA. Whereas Marco Gonzalez has consistently each month actually just been around three. So like, if you were to have, it's hard to say like who had the more. If I was talking about a resurgence, I would think Robbie Ray's had a much bigger June and July, much better than than uh, Marco. But Marco has been the consistent person we've needed all year. I have. I have highlighted in my notes here, steady Eddie for Marco Gonzalez. That is him to a T. Um, and, and I just wanted to note that Robbie Ray, um, his ERA since he's yeah, beginning with his start on June 12th, over seven starts, he has a 0.91 ERA. Um, wow. In about seventy innings, um, I don't have the tab. No way. I don't have the tab in front of me right this second, but um, he has been beyond lights out in the last. Um, sorry, that's over 39, 39 and two thirds. 
He has a .91 ERA. He's striking out 10 batters per nine. Um, he's not giving up hard contact. He's stranding all the runners. Um, you can pick any stat from this time, and he will he will be elite. So um, that's you crazy. Know, dark horse uh, back-to-back Cy Young winner. You know, don't count it out. That's a stat, and that's like if if he just goes one full, if he complete does a complete game, gives up one single run, that means his ERA is going to go up from that point nine two that you mentioned in, over the last <laughs> several games. <laughs> when you put it like that, that makes it even crazier. But you're right. Well, um, you know, circling back to the ten game win streak, uh, did you know that six of those games, Ty France was out of the lineup? With uh, on the on the injured <laughs> I, list, did you did you know they were doing? I, I was, that's not a trick. I was, that's not a trick question. <laughs> I was aware since I was the one who put Ty France returning to the lineup in the in the podcast notes. So I think I think that is something I'm aware of. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely something we missed is his bat. Uh, I guess we didn't miss it if we were winning all those games. But um, it's good to have him back. It can't hurt us. It can't hurt us. Although, along the same lines of if Robbie Ray goes a complete game and gives up one earned run, his ERA is going to go up. Let me tell you, in Ty France's absence, they went 11-2. and two. And he, got, he was activated on July 7th. That was the Thursday beginning of the four-game set where we hosted the Blue Jays. Boo, Blue Jays. Um, and, of course, he gets activated. He plays off and on throughout the series. Um, and they sweep that series. So... Uh, you know, did it hurt us having Ty France out? No. Does it help us as far as preventing re- regression, getting him back? Um, obviously, it, it it can do nothing but help. And um, yeah, it's just I heard it's crazy. I heard to think the about same plot that. line with Jesse Winker. Like they're like Jesse Winker uh, was was out for suspension, right? And then he comes, and they're like, "Well, we're winning all these games without him," and he comes back, and we're still winning. He's two home runs in the double header so like his bat's been hot so man you could <laughs> obviously it's like oh yeah we're missing our all-star type caliber players during the win streak is it because they're out that, that we're winning is that a good correlation you know so it's kind of funny when you put it that way yeah yeah <laughs> well you know it, obviously we don't want to just bench ty france and jesse wanker two of our biggest additions in the last two years but um it sure doesn't hurt to have guys like Carlos Santana step in as uh, midseason additions and just batter Blue Jays pitching and uh, and just come up in the clutch every time you need them. So um, for once in my life, I'm going to give a hats off to the Mariners front office for somewhat constructing a team that can withstand adversity uh, where they haven't in the past. Good job, Jerry Depoto. Shout out. Anyways, uh, I think we're going to move on, and we have a couple cool segments coming on. We have something called Robbie's Hot Take coming up, and after that, we got a late-night lightning round, so stay tuned to that, and we're going to get started. If uh, you're ready for this, it's going to be Robbie's Hot Take. It's Robbie's Hot Robbie's Hot Take. Thanks for that, Adam. Uh, you know, I, d- I don't have too much to rant about today. My hot take isn't even going to be that scorching hot. But I just wanted to say, uh, with the trade deadline coming up, it's a perennial question for Mariners fans, talking heads, 
and the front office itself. Um, do you trade some of your top prospects in order to get a proven big leaguer who can help you down the stretch? You know, do you put a guy like Jared Kelnick, um, Emerson Hancock, who's going to be in the All-Star Futures game, uh, or even your your top prospect right now, Noel V. Marte, do you put them on the trading block to try and get maybe a second baseman because Adam Frazier just is not panning out this year? Um, do you put them on? Do you do you, panning out? <laughs> do you do you put do you put Jared Kelnick or and or Mitch Haniger when he comes back? You know any of your outfielders who have value right now? We have five big league outfielders who need to be playing every day. Don't forget about Taylor Trammell. How many of these guys are we going to hold? Are we going to hold on to? Let them languish in AAA, rake AAA pitching, or sit on the big league bench when there are still positions. To, that need to be filled on the big league team. Are, are, is a bird in the hand worth two in the bush? I think it is. And I think the bird in the hand is the proven big leaguer you can trade for at the deadline using some prospects in a package. And, you know, future glory is nothing if you're five games over 500 going to the All-Star break with a chance to break a 21-year playoff drought. That just, it doesn't sit right with me. I'm not saying that the Mariners need to trade Noel V. Marte. I'm not saying they need to get rid of Emerson Hancock. But I just wish people would entertain the idea. I wish they would stop being so romantic about these prospects. And I wish they would maybe dream of a better world. A world where the Mariners make the playoffs. And heaven forbid, make a deep playoff run. So, you know, I'm not too steamed about that. um, But it, it does, you know... Precluding any conversation about trading prospects is a big bugaboo of mine. I mean, to, to your point, we're spending much less money this year than we were when we had like Robinson Cano, uh, you know, making uh, twenty what twenty five million a year uh, or so. Uh, don't quote me on that that amount, but uh, we did pick up uh, a good veteran and Carlos Santana, seventy four year old Carlos Santana, who's who's one of those veteran presences. Would have been good like a few years ago, maybe. Uh, he's he's been solid so far from what I've seen. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, is is Mitch Haniger coming back? Is Kyle Lewis gonna be the same player when he comes back? Are they enough to to continue this not the win streak, but the dominance we've seen over the last. 20 or so games um can we just keep it going with what we have currently or do we need to pick up another big bat you know that's what i'm asking especially when you when you have stats like um when when you have a uh 850 win percentage in games where you score four or more runs um do we need another bat i don't know beats the heck out of me jerry if we could just (laughs) score four runs every game do you have any anyone in mind that you could think of on um I, you know, I, I mentioned second base, and I started researching this before Adam Frazier hit two home runs yesterday. I still, he's still very subpar compared to what I'd like. But um, Santiago Espinal on the Blue Jays, who recently fired their manager. Yep. I don't know how long they're going to be in the run this year. Um, he's a great young second baseman. Um, I, I also wouldn't mind the idea of trading for another starter, because... Keeping all, well, first off, George Kirby is a rookie, and he is probably going to be on an innings count this year. And um, secondly, what are the odds that all these guys stay healthy, knock on some wood while you're at it? Um, So I wouldn't mind the idea of trading for a pitcher. Um, 
But when you're 11 and 2, when you're on a 10 game win streak, these ideas seem pretty ridiculous. So, um, you know, I guess in Jerry, we trust. Moving on to our final round, the lightning round. And what we're going to do here is just name off a couple questions. Just give us your quick thoughts. And that's it. All right. And let's begin. So we got for the Seattle Seahawks, the first couple are going to be Seahawks and we'll go into the Mariners and that. So the first one is Drew Locke, Geno Smith, or someone else? Oh, man. <laughs> Considering someone else at this point is Jimmy Garoppolo, um, I just toss a coin, throw a dart at Drew Locke or Geno Smith, and whoever it hits, let them start. I I honestly, uh, I don't care this year. Uh, give, me, give me Drew Locke. I want to see what he has in the tank. What about you? You know my hot take in terms of it doesn't it it does matter but like I think Drew Locke would be just fine. I think Pete Carroll has a good reputation of uh creating uh QBs from nowhere and making them superstars. Um he has a good legacy with QBs at USC and obviously with Russell Wilson. So I think if we, he was just able to develop Drew Locke we'd be fine. He got John David Booty drafted, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good with these quarterbacks. Pretty good. You got uh, Sanchez, and you got Leonard, and you got Palmer, and you got yeah. Russ. I mean, he has a good legacy of, of great players when they played for him, but uh, not all of them have been great when they haven't. That's true. Cool. So number two, over under, Seahawks at five and a half wins this year. And that's kind of the Vegas number I saw going out there. Do you think the Seahawks will get more or less than five and a half wins? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I should have prepared for this question better. I should have looked at their schedule. Um, the defense is going to be worse without Bobby Wagner. Um, the offense, sorry, guys. I know we all hate Russ now, but the offense is going to be worse without Russ, even if uh, Pete Carroll does his magic with Drew Locke. Long story short, I am going to go under five and a half wins. Book it. Wow. Okay, I would go over. I would say something like eight wins, but oh. I guess you. the next question... Oh, yeah, hold on, I just, hold on. I just, what, you have the over, and I have the under? What, yes. do, what do you say? We, I guess we should just do a bet between us. Yeah, let, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this off pod, and we'll, we'll let you guys know what the wager is uh, next time. Our first live bet in recording studio right now, coming at you. All right, and then obviously I think your answer, we don't even have to ask this question. You obviously think the Seahawks are going to have less wins than the Broncos, yeah, easily. Um, I would also believe that too. Yeah, I think the Broncos might win closer to ten or so, even in a, even in a Russ. way harder division, <laughs> even in a way harder AFC West. But still, cool. Next uh, topic we got. Moving on to baseball. Who is more likely to be a future Hall of Famer, Julio Rodriguez or Alex Rodriguez? Oh boy, J Rod or A Rod? Um, man, how? How are the voters feeling about guys who did steroids <laughs> these days? Um, Alex Rodriguez obviously has the resume for it. Um, I don't think that steroids should instantly disqualify someone from the Hall of Fame. So if it were up to me, I would vote for A-Rod for the Hall of Fame. That being said, I don't think he'll get in. Um, even though he's been kind of reintegrated into baseball society with um, mm-hmm. announcing and with j-lo and well that's not baseball but you know he's he is not a pariah he's like, well liked he's yeah well-liked. he's become well liked lately he's yeah. a pop culture figure no, t- um but uh, you know what i'm gonna go out on a limb i'm gonna give julio rodriguez uh 
odds over A-Rod to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I would give I would do the same. It's so early. It's so funny. We're talking about Julio Rodriguez in the Hall of Fame, but I think to the point is Alex Rodriguez seems to have slim chances to make the Hall of Fame based on how the you know the current Hall of Fame voters uh, look at him. And unfortunately, yeah, steroids and the Hall of Fame voting does not mix very well. Um, so I I really do. If I had a vote, I would vote A Rod in for sure. But that's not the case. I just want to add, it is not too early to get excited about Julio Rodriguez's career. Do not tamper. Uh, do not dampen your excitement. Get hype. J-Rod squad. All right, next question. Of the Mariners pitchers, who has the most impressive year? Um, Logan Gilbert, hands down. He's a workhorse. He leads the American League in pitches. Through July 13th, wow. he, threw, he has thrown 1,753 pitches. He is uh, top seven in innings wow. pitched. Uh, he's top ten. He's top ten in innings pitched and ERA. Um, and it is his first full season in the bigs. Uh, no doubt. He also has ten wins. It's crazy. He's borderline in the Cy Young discussion. Mm-hmm. Probably a little bit long tail, far from it, but he is in the discussion. And so I think, uh, yeah, definitely Logan Gilbert at this point. I'm surprised by that stat you pulled up, whereas he has the most innings pitched, considering his young arm and most, you know Kirby's most, on. Most kind of, pitches thrown. I just want to say most, most pitches thrown. Pitches thrown. And sorry, and he does sorry. have a low ERA, so it's not like he's they're leaving him in in blowouts or anything. He's uh he's a workhorse and he's dominant. You don't get that in the same guy very often. Here's a fun one. Do you think Kevin Durant will play for the Seattle Sonics expansion team one day? <laughs> um, is. <laughs> So first off, the, Mar- <laughs> the, the, the Sonics are coming back. It's almost, it's like a foregone conclusion. Second off, KD seems to have a lot of sway in the league right now. Every offseason in the NBA, the question is, where's KD going to go? It's not who's going to trade for him. It's where's he going to go? So, you know, when the Sonics come back, if KD still has the juice that he has now, he could very well force his way onto the Sonics. So... I'm saying he will. He's going to wear that number 35 Sonics jersey again, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those, like, you know, final years of his career, like maybe last game, just, hey, let's uh, sign him for a one, a, you know, a one-week contract and put him on, let him retire with the new Seattle Sonics or whatever. I would think we're going to be called the Sonics, unless, like, I think OKC owns the name, but it's all right, we'll get it. The, the NBA owns uh, the Sonics trademark and everything so if seattle gets a team back uh team back they're gonna take the name the the thunder own the history so they own the championship this isn't fake this is this is real so the championship belongs to okc somehow but we can have the name back uh it really sucks it's like you get divorced and then you get remarried but you don't get any of we the don't stuff. get the championships back <laughs> you don't <Yeah. laughs> but she sold the she sold the house that she took in the divorce it's crazy Oh, man. That's sad. All right. Anyways, uh, our final topic is Kelsey Plum scored 30 points in the WNBA All-Star Game and won All-Star MVP. Go dogs! Um, So UW all-time great won All-Star Game MVP. Will she win League MVP in the future? She's possibly the most decorated UW Husky of all time. She retired, uh, I should say, she graduated from uh, the UW with a degree in anthropology, student athlete, uh, as the all-time leading scorer in 
in NCAA women's basketball. That is more than Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, all the greats ever scored. Um, so she really is a legend. Uh, I don't know if she can win a league MVP because there mm-hmm. is another young woman in the league who is from the Pac-12 by the name of Sabrina Ionescu, who is taking the league by storm. And I hate to give credit to an Oregon Duck, but I gotta say, she scored the first 30-point <laughs> triple-double in WNBA history earlier this week. And um, that's gonna be pretty wow. tough to beat. Kelsey Plum's on the Las Vegas Aces. They're second in the standings right now. If they can get up to the, to the first um, in the standings, going if they can get the one seed going to the playoffs, Kelsey Plum's their leading scorer. They have a chance. She has a chance, I should say. Yeah, I don't definitely not this year for the MVP. Uh, her trajectory has been great. Uh, she started off like kind of rough in the first couple years. She even had a really long big injury, I think, for most of a season. And she was a bench player. Six, six. She was six woman of the year, I believe. And now she's starting and doing really well at scoring roughly twenty points a game. And I'm guessing it's going to go up from here for the next few years. Uh, very undersized, so rebounding is going to be a, a problem for her. But I think she could put up the points. But, yeah, I don't think she'll win the MVP, but she'll be one of the top five players, I think, in the WNBA for years to come. I, I couldn't agree more. I And, you know, you mentioned her undersized. Um, the only guard, the last guard to win MVP in the WNBA was Diana Taurasi in 2009. Um, so oh. I'm going to say WNBA voters... Uh, Figure it out, guys. Figure it out, gals. Yeah. Figure it out, everyone. Rebounds are cool and all, but when you're taller than everyone else, they're a lot easier. So give some credit to the shooters. Give some credit to the guards. They're creating the plays, and they're getting it done. Kelsey Plum for MVP. There you go. Great. And that's our show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please rate and review. And if you have any uh, questions, concerns, corrections, um, Anything you want to share with us, uh, you can reach out to us uh, via email at latenightseattle at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at late night in Seattle. You can find us on Twitter at late night in C, and that's L8, the number eight, night in C. And, um, you know, you can see some amateur memes on, on Instagram. You can see some light trolling on Twitter. And, um, We're always happy to interact with you guys. So uh, we're just really, really glad. However many of you are listening out there, we couldn't appreciate you anymore. Um, We're glad that you joined us for this, and we hope you'll tune in next time. We just had Patron shots. Welcome to Seattle where the players play, 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 play. It's late night in Seattle, and it's getting pretty late. We be out on Capitol Hill.